0: great to be here with you this morning. As you see, I'm still sitting. If you're here last week, you heard I had a minor procedure done on my foot. All is going well, so uh, thank you for those who are praying for me. Um, I'm still sitting, so pray a little harder so I can stand next week. This is driving me nuts, Um, but I am behaving myself, and like I said last week, that's a difficult thing for me to do. Uh, But uh, we are continuing, more importantly in our series, Kingdom Living Volume 1. Uh, We looked at this message that Jesus preached this sermon uh, we, we gave an introduction a couple weeks ago to the Sermon on the Mount we had said what is the Sermon on the Mount and we we really decided really if we're going to sum it up it's, it's really Jesus talking about Christian counterculture what does it mean to be a follower of his and and how do how what are we, how, how do we walk with him am I going in out a little bit or is that just my ears okay I just want to make sure all right I thought for a minute if I need to pick up a mic just tell me uh, but uh, but we looked at that. We looked at how do we receive the teaching of Jesus? How do we receive the teaching of Jesus? Do we come uh, with an attitude that says, Lord, I want to learn, I want to obey, I want to walk with you? Uh, and Then last week, we looked at Christ's teaching on the Beatitudes, which really is the foundation of all that Christ is going to teach in this, in this pretty... Long message. It's the longest message of Christ recorded in scriptures. Matthew, uh, Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Three chapters of of just him teaching on this. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And this morning we're going to look at what does it mean to, to have influence? In fact, what is the influence of a believer? And the passage really fits into a particular biblical theme that Christians are meant to be different from the world as kingdom influencers, and a way of looking at this is this. Uh, let me give an illustration. All illustrations break down at a certain point, but I think you'll know where I'm what I'm trying to get at here. God calls us as believers not to be thermometers, but thermostats. A, a thermometer, when you think about it, all it does is reflect the temperature. Right, You put it in your mouth, it reflects whatever your temperature is. And God hasn't called us as the church to reflect the culture around us. He's called us to be a thermostat. A thermostat, what, dictates the temperature. It, 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 it changes things, at least if your air conditioner heater is working. It, it, it changes things. And so God's called us not to be a thermometer, but a, but a thermostat. So let's look at our passage together, keeping that in mind. Matthew five thirteen through 16. Jesus is preaching, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus uses two metaphors here, right? Salt and light to describe the influence of believers for good in the world. And so let's dig into what Christ is teaching here on us being Christian influencers. Let's, let's go back to verse 13. Let me read it again. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The verse begins what? You are the salt of the earth. Say it with me. You are the salt of the earth. Who's the salt of the earth? We are. Christians are the salt of the earth. And what's the meaning of the metaphor? Well, salt really, when you think about it, has really three, three qualities, if you will, three, three helps for us. It cleanses that for centuries, salt has been used for medicinal purposes, and so believers are to live pure lives in the world, in a way, sort of cleansing the culture by saying this is the way that God has called us to live. In fact, later in Jesus' sermon, we'll look at the fact that Jesus is very clear to say there's two paths. One leads to destruction, one leads to life. And we as believers know the way, the path that leads to life, and as we live that, we are like a cleansing agent within our culture. Uh, secondly, salt preserves. And, and uh, how many of you like beef jerky? Anyone like beef jerky? I love beef jerky personally. Salt preserves. It's been a preservative for many, many years, especially before refrigeration. Salt was, was crucial for preserving meats and so forth. And Christians are to stand up for what is right in a way, preserving the truth, preserving the truth in our culture. And then lastly, salt flavors. Followers of Christ are to attract people to the Lord in the way we live, in the way we speak, in the way we react to things. We're, we're to have that flavoring element to our faith that allows people to, to want what we have and for us to be able to say, well, you can have it in the same way we do through, too, through Jesus Christ. What's all this mean? Well, believers are to live by the power of Christ in such a way that their lives exemplify Christ, their mouths profess Christ in his teaching, drawing people to the Lord. And the verse concludes this way, but if salt has lost its salty, its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The, the effect of salt is conditional, Jesus says. And, and yet it's interesting, that strictly speaking, salt can't lose its saltiness, strictly speaking. Uh, as a matter of fact, sodium chloride is a very stable chemical compound unless it becomes contaminated with something else. And so Dr. David Tuck, he he suggests what Jesus is talking about here, what they called salt during the time of Christ is different than what we call salt in a way. In fact, it was a white powder, perhaps from the Dead Sea, which is extremely salty, by the way, I've been there. And and when I was there with a group who I was with, they said, be very careful, because if you have just the smallest little cut, it'll burn, which I would think would be true. I didn't, so I don't know. But one of the guys without thinking, you know, you get in the water, have you ever splashed your face? And he got in, he splashed his face, and he started crying out. I mean, it, it, it was horrible. And what was even worse was the few of us who were with us who couldn't stop laughing because it was so ridiculous, so ridiculous. But, um, but this, probably from the Dead Sea, they would dry it out. But while, cont- while containing sodium chloride, it also contained many other, many other uh, uh, elements. And, and there were no refineries. And so the salt wasn't pure salt is what I'm getting at. And of this dust, the sodium chloride was probably the most soluble component, and so it would get washed out. And what would remain would would look like salt. They still called it salt, but it really didn't taste or act like salt. It was basically just road dust. And so Jesus is using this illustration to to say that the contamination, the washing away of what was true, that salt can lose its saltiness, and it's of no use. It can't preserve, it can't heal, it can't add flavor. And and here's the warning. The warning is that believers are not to compromise their faith, losing their saltiness. And it's so important we realize that, and when we wrap our mind around one of our values here at Crosswinds is that we will be culturally relevant. Cultural relevance, it's really important we we qualify what that means. It means bringing the timeless truth, let me say it again, the timeless truth of God's word to an ever-changing culture. And so we definitely do things that are culturally relevant, but we're not changing the word of God to do those things. Like a worship band. I don't know when the first person said, you know what, I like the music with drums and guitars and stuff. Let's do that. But I'm glad they did, because I've pretty much grown up with that. To me, that seems normal. When people talk about traditional church, this is my traditional church. This is how I grew up. When the mic, I love being amplified. Amplified. At some point in the church, someone said, you know, there's these things called mics, and, and, and we can project a voice, and you won't lose your voice. You can preach multiple services and still be able to use the same voice. And, and whoever that person was, I wish I could hug them. I, but this doesn't change. We, we don't change this so that the culture, it's more palatable for them. Sometimes it's really salty. <laughs> and, and it's okay because it's God's timeless truth. The world doesn't need to know our opinion. They need to know God's truth. And Christ says, be salt. Don't don't allow yourself to be diluted from the stuff of the world. Don't allow yourself to, to drift the way the world's drifting. Be that salt. Be that salt. Christians are to act as salt in the world. He gives us a second metaphor, doesn't he? Found in verses 14 through 16. He writes, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So the passage says, you are the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? We are. are. Say it again. We are the Light. light of the world. Now, what's the meaning of this metaphor? Well, the passage continues. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others. Now understand this, Jesus is the true light, right, church? Like he's the light. We reflect him. And for me, that, that, that really relieves a lot of pressure for me. I am nobody's savior. Come on now. I'm actually no one's true protector. God is. He uses me to reflect that truth but he is the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way to truth life. No one comes as a father except through him, right? Me. But, but that me is him, not me. So we quote that. we got to remind ourselves, no one comes to the father except through Jesus, <laughs> right? He is the true light, but we reflect his light. And so witnessing evangelism, sharing the love of message of Christ in the world, doing it in word and deed, must be counted as one of our priorities of saying, Lord, may your spirit work through me, your spirit through me, to shine your light to the world around me. The world's in darkness. We see that over and over again in scripture. It doesn't know the way to God. and It doesn't know God's ways, right? And I've said this often, and I had a mentor really it into me years and years and years ago now. He said there's two job descriptions. One for the world and one for believers. Have you seen that in Scripture? The world acts contrary to the things of God. The churches act according to the word of God. And we get ourselves in trouble when we're concerned with them trying to live out our job description instead of us living out our job description so they will want Jesus and live it out too. Come on now. Our job isn't to be irritated by the world; it's to be light in the world. We may be brokenhearted by the world. How many of you have loved ones you're praying? It may, it may be frustrating at times, especially when we're living out the love of Jesus. And in reality, as we're living out the love of Jesus. I still like Mike's. As we're living out the love of Jesus, what happens? We're living out this, this, this profound love for Christ, and we're, we're, we're doing it in a way that, that, because we love God and we love people, but maybe they don't appreciate Anyone ever not had someone appreciate the fact you're loving them for Jesus? But you know what? That's their job description. Ours is to love them anyway. Right, church? Come on now. We know God's way. His spirit illuminates the scriptures for us. What a great blessing that his spirit illuminates the scriptures for us. Gives us understanding. Psalm 119, 105. Your your word, Lord God, is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Isn't that great? I I love exploring God's word and and growing. and, And sometimes it's so encouraging. And sometimes there's a holy ouch moment. Anyone ever had that? Ouch. Lord, help me. Help me grow. Christians are to act like light in the world. What's light, dude? Light shines. Believers are to stand out for as Christ followers. They're, they're, they're to be different. Light illuminates. Christians are to point people to God in his ways, and it reveals. Followers of Christ are to show others how God wants us to live. It, if salt can lose its saltiness, then, then this passage shows us that light can really become dark. How? By hiding it. By hiding it. There's this myth in the church that faith is a private thing. I want one person to show me where the scripture says that. Our faith in Jesus should be as such that we can't contain it. You follow what I'm saying? Like, I don't know about you, but as we were singing this morning, I thought I was going to erupt. I mean, did you hear the words of the songs we were singing, proclaiming to Christ? I mean, he surrounds us. As we were singing that God surrounds us, I thought to myself of the words of St. Patrick, who said, God is is above me, he's beneath me, he's in front of me, he's behind me, he's within me. I'm consumed by the living God. (laughs) Wow, that's good stuff. That'll preach. And that'll live. And that's what light does. Now, call, God calls us to, 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 to be honest about who we are. We're, 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 we're saved and we're, and we're being sanctified. We're, making, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. But we're not perfect yet. And, 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 and we don't claim to be. We're being perfected and we're our honest, true selves before people. But listen how the passage concludes Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who's in heaven. Give glory to who, by the way? The Father. And so since I'm being perfected, when I do something wrong, I'm quick to admit it and take responsibility for it. That's all me. And when something good comes out of my life, I'm quick to say, that's God. <laughs> it's to his glory. Craig, that was a good thing. <laughs> it's because of him. Craig, you messed up. That's because of me. And God's working in me. God calls believers to be willing for the Christian walk to, to be visible to others. And when believers let their light shine, people will see our Christ-like good deeds. Uh, people will praise the Father in heaven. Not everyone, but some will be drawn to him. I'm here because of people who let their light shine. How about you? There was a difference. I wanted that. I wanted to be a part of God's family. Not knowing what that all meant. I wanted to be a part of what he wanted me to be a part of. We're to be our honest selves as described in the Beatitudes and not ashamed of Christ. So how does Christ intend for us to live? Well, as, as Christians, we're to be light in the world. And, and I believe it's more than just being nice, church. I really do. I believe it's so much more than just being nice. I've heard people say something like this. Well, that person must be a Christian because they're nice. Now, I, I, I want to be honest here and I want to be careful, Okay. I'm better at being honest and careful sometimes, but I'm going to try to be honest and careful, okay? I know many Christians who are nice. I do. As a matter of fact, most of the Christians I know are nice people. But let me let you in a little secret if you haven't really realized it. I know many people who have yet to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior who are nice. I mean, really. I, I, I think most people, by and large, are nice people. Most. Not all, most. But here's the truth. I know some people who claim to be Christians who aren't really all that nice. Come on now. And so God's calling us to be more than, than nice. He's calling us to be transformed. With that said, I, I believe the picture we get from these metaphors goes beyond mere kindness. That, that, that if we be- really believe and that the supernatural power of God is at work within us, then what God's calling us to be a part of is something only, only God-sized. I mean, it doesn't mean that, that, that we start walking on water or those type, I, I don't mean that. I don't mean that, 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 that we act as if we're perfect. No, we're being perfected, but it does mean that we rely on God, that God wants to do the only God-sized things in our lives, and he wants to transform us, and that's a miracle. One of the great miracles of God is taking unholy people and making them holy and putting them back into an unholy world and, and making them holy. That's a, that's a beautiful quote I read recently from someone I can't remember. But, but it was a beautiful word. Isn't that true? That's what Jesus is talking about here. As salt and light to the world around us. Two lessons really quick we learn from this passage. The first is there's a distinctive difference between what God calls us as, to, as Christians in, in our lives and, and yet those yet to receive Christ. Between the church and the world. There's a distinctive difference between the church and the world. Due to the Spirit's work in the life of a believer, this passage assumes that Christians are different. Yet John Stott sadly notes, he wrote, probably the greatest tragedy of the church throughout its long and checkered history has been its constant tendency to conform to the prevailing culture instead of developing a Christian counterculture. Do you catch what he says there? One of the great problems with the church is when the church is just sort of mimicking the world. But we've all been there, right? Peer pressure. I want to I get along. I've even heard people use it as their own personal witnessing strategy. Well, if, if I'm too different, they won't be attracted to God. Well, let me tell you what. If there's no difference, there's nothing to be attracted to. There should be a difference. I found this out for the first time when I was in high school, when I'd have friends who would make fun of me. My nickname in high school was preacher. Some of it you, they used by respect and others weren't respectful. Not because I was preaching to them and they knew I was a Christian. They would call me out on the football team. They, oh, yeah, there's Craig. He's preacher, you know. He's going to be a preacher. And, and, and yet the most amazing thing, you know what happened when my friends found themselves in trouble? They came to me. People would make fun of me for taking my Bible to school when they needed prayer. Guess who they came to? Not because of me. They weren't seeing my light. They were seeing his light in me, to his glory. Right, church? The world needs to see a difference to be attracted to that difference. And God's church is in the world, but we're not avoiding the world. We we love the people, not the culture. We love the people because they're gods, and we're pointing them to Christ. Second lesson we learned from this passage is that believers, the church, must accept the call. God places upon her uh, to this Christian distinctive. It's not enough just to say it. We've got to really accept it. Sanctification, becoming like Jesus, is not automatic. Have you found that to be true? It's a daily commitment, isn't it? It's a daily commitment. It's every day getting up and saying, Lord, it's you and me, and it's got to be a whole lot more you than me. Let's do this thing. I'm yours. We must not lose our confidence in the power of the gospel of Christ. We have Christ, as teaching, and his power to be salt and light in the world. But we got to choose that. We've got to choose that. As believers, we need the Spirit's working in our life. We, we need the Spirit's strength in our life. And the good news is it's there for the asking. It's there for the asking. What amazing thing. God is with us all the time. All the time, God is with us. Stott ties last week's passage on the Beatitudes with this week's on salt and light when he writes. He says, a Christian's character is described in the Beatitudes, and a Christian's influence is defined in that salt and light metaphors are organically related to one another. Our influence depends on our character. Let, let Let me dumb that up in my level, Okay. If we want to live the way Jesus has called us to live, we need his power making us more like Jesus. Come on now. Relying on him, totally dependent upon him, having him work in and through us. Christians are meant to be different from the world and, and, and be kingdom influencers. And, and Christ has called us to be salt and light. He's called us to, to this Christian distinctive. And, and, and as I shared last week, And I just need to throw this out there because it's so important. We will not be perfect until Christ returns. Okay? But this does not excuse us from not being a part of the work of being perfected. To being on journey with God. Allowing him to do a work that only he can do in us. Not just just for our sake, but for his glory and the benefit of the world around us. I am so thankful For the individuals in my life who said, no, 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 I will be salt and light and have poured into me, what a responsibility I have to pass that on, to pass that on to the world around me. One of the passages I pray over myself pretty much daily, and you've heard me quote, it's just one of those passages that just has always resonated with my need for God and his work in my life is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, one and two, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Give your whole self to him. He's worthy of it. Think about it. Paul's written 11 chapters, and he just breaks out and says, by by all this stuff I've written, all this stuff that God has done, what do we do? We give ourselves wholly to God. Now, I don't know about you, that's not a one-time thing for me. Has anyone had to do that multiple times in a day? Lord, remind me I'm yours. Do this work in me. But the verse goes on. It says, don't be conformed to the world. I want to go back. Don't, don't be a thermometer. <laughs> don't be conformed to the world. Don't, don't just sort of reflect the world. I had a friend who visited a church some time ago now, years ago. And when he was there, he was surprised by a person given the tour cussing left and right. Just, just one curse word after the other. And when no one else was around, he said, why why, why why do you feel you need to do that? And he says, what makes people who aren't church comfortable? And my friend said, I didn't know we were supposed to do that. My my call isn't to make people comfortable, it's to love them. It's to stand for Jesus. And, And they may not appreciate it when things are going well in their life, but who knows when things aren't, if they don't say, you know what? There's something different in him. Like my friends in high school, I've seen it true over and over again. There's something different in him. Neighbors, something different in him. That's what God calls us to. The verse continues in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12. It says, be transformed, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what God's will is as good, acceptable, and perfect will. Transformation actually comes from the, the word transformed. Is, is comes from the word we have metamorphosis. That's a transformation that God does in the life of a believer, surrenders to something. Be a thermostat, dictate the temperature around you. Be different for Jesus. By the way, don't just be different, be different for Jesus, right? We we don't wanna be wacky. I I won't even get into that, that's a whole nother message. There is a Christian subculture, but to be honest with you, it's wacky. We're to be a Christian counterculture which points to Jesus, there's a difference. Okay, if you don't know the difference, then, then um, Pastor Chris would love to talk to you a lot about that. <laughs> he would love to spend hours with you about that. But, but um, be, be, a, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. God has a fantastic work he wants to do in and into our lives. But, but really, there's a key, key question. The key question is this. We looked at it last week. What's our response going to be? When we approach God's word, are we approaching it saying, God, help me learn and help me apply? Or is it, well, that's good information. <laughs> and if it's, Lord, help me learn and help me apply, what have we learned this morning that God is saying, here's your next step? And, and are you willing to take that next step? What is your next step as God, are you willing to take that next step with God? The good news is you're not taking it alone, you're taking it with him. You're not doing it by your own strength, you're doing it by his And it's not for your glory, it's for his anyway. And he's really good at being God. So if you take that next step with him, he's really good at giving you what you need to take that next step. And you say, well, what if I don't take it perfectly? Well, join the club. But he will perfect you in it. I'm thankful I'm not measured by my perfection. I'm measured by Jesus's. Did you catch that? I'm thankful I'm not measured by my perfection. I'm measured by his. And because of his, I can be better me. I can be a better me. And so can all of us so that the world around us can see the truth that is Jesus, the life that is Jesus, the way that is Jesus. Amen, church? So wherever you are, will you take your next step with him? If you've yet to receive him as Lord and Savior, that is your next step. God loves you. He didn't just say it. He showed it. He died on the cross for your sins. resurrected for your salvation. Whether you're here on this campus, whether you're watching online, Hopewell Campus, if you've yet to receive Christ, I pray you'll do so this morning. For the rest of us, if we're in Christ, what is our next step? Let's take it. Let's help each other take it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this amazing teaching of of Christ that we find in Matthew five through seven. I mean, we're, we're just starting looking at it, and already the depth and the invitation of the life that Jesus calls us to is, is so profound, so wonderful, so challenging. But it just leads me to, to just declare once more my dependence upon you. God, you're the one who, through Jesus, has given me salvation. I pray, even now, if there's someone who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior in the quietness of their heart, they'd say yes to you. Lord, thank you for dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation, for being our risen Savior. But Lord, I confess I'm also dependent on you to make me more like Jesus. I can't do that on my own. I can't do it on my own strength and my own knowledge. I need you. And I thank you. But you've promised to do that work in me, perfect in me, so that you'll be glorified, so that yeah, I'll be blessed. But Lord, others will benefit because I can then be salt and light. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us that that know you and, and walk with you, God, that we would just every day just say a simple prayer, Lord, help me today be an everyday missionary in my everyday mission field. That means wherever we find ourselves, Lord God, would you just open up doors for us to share your light in word and deed to those around us, to offer hope, to be living examples of those who trust in you, and Lord, I know already in, in, in our minds we're thinking, about but I'm not always perfectly trusted. Lord, perfect us in our trusting you. <laughs> that the world would know. But the things in my life that still need work, that's on me. But the things in my life, Lord God, that you have done work on and, and that our light and that is salt, Lord God, that's to your glory. Lord, thank you. As I've said many a time, thank you. But I'm not what I used to be. I know what I'm not... When I need to be but I'm not what I used to be thank you but I'm a work in progress and Lord may that work bring others to you in the precious name of Jesus make us salt and light and as you've blessed our gathering Lord God would you bless us as we scatter throughout this region that your salvation that your power that your hope would spread across this area for your glory in Jesus name amen